I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sneaker Salaries. Today, we are joined by Sophia Chang, who is a woman of all trades, designer, footwear enthusiast, startup founder. Sophia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So Sophia, you have an amazing journey and, and have come a long way. And uh, you know, we were briefly talking off air about your education and, and some of the things you've been doing. We would love to hear your origin story if you could start us off with that. Sure. I'm born and raised in Flushing, Queens, New York. I know I can go in depth because of John, you know, all the way. Um, yeah. And, you know, grew up in a pretty traditional um, Taiwanese household, but, you know, just a Queens kid, just a regular Queens kid on my free time. I would hang out at the park. Um, I grew up with pretty traditional parents who, you know, wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer. Um, all my cousins to date still have these uh, great titles. Um, I've, I've always drawn my entire life. Uh, I'm an only child as well. So probably my way of coping and having something to do without getting into trouble. But yeah, I just I grew up like any other, you know, kid in a bubble would. Um, and I definitely was always into sneakers for the most part. I was always kind of just like gravitating towards hip hop music um, and obviously more like the streetwear look and art and graffiti, you know, taking the subway. Uh, my main train that I would take was the seven trains who so would be overground. So you'd see a lot of graffiti as we're heading into the city. I always loved uh, Shea Stadium as well, where, well, you, well, I still call it Shea Stadium, but City Field now. Uh, there's all these like really cool neon figures that I was always so inspired by because I felt like um, there was so much character and personality and movement in just like very simple lines. So I always gravitated towards drawing and art. And I just found that fascinating in that world around me. Well, and, and can you expand on, uh, so you're an only child. I'm a middle child. So I have some uh, middle you're child smart syndrome one, stuff too. Usually, Well, uh, I don't know about that, but you know, can you talk about kind of taking your, uh, you know, maybe that chip on your shoulder or kind of like staying busy, whatever it is, like you were talking about, and then discovering some of the things you love and deciding to pursue that. I think that's something that's really noble and admirable is when people just take a passion or a hobby and then turn it into work. And and a lot of times you can never predict that. You can never think about, you know, how to get from A to B or A to Z even, right? So can you talk about nurturing your passion for art and drawing and, and kind of how that continued to grow as a kid and then maybe even into when you were an adult? Yeah, I think like the nurturing side maybe was not really part of the dialogue for me when I was younger, just because I grew up in a very traditional Asian household. My father was an engineer. He came from a line of engineers. My mom was more of the creative person, but she was a stay-at-home mom. And um, traditionally, the, uh, you know, Asian households want you to be the best of the best all the time. And I definitely always had expressed how I had an interest in drawing in the arts. And, you know, uh, my parents, when we have dinner every night, we would use the newspaper from the day and lay it out as like the table mat. For, I don't know why it's so ghetto. Only my household does this. Um, but I would even like just take a pen and draw over like the portraits of people. And I was just always drawing. And, you know, as I started to develop 
when I was a kid, I would walk around the city with my dad and he'd be like, oh yeah, you want to be an artist? You see that guy on the side of the street that's drawing? That's what your life is going to be like. You're going to be there and you're just going to be not making any money and it's freezing out cold and this is how you're going to make a living. And I've always had just a very strong sense of self-awareness where I was like, that's them. I'm not going to be like that. Um, even with, you know, Asian parents, a lot of times they also like to like give uh, like references, like you should be like this person or my dad all the time when I was growing up would always be like, can you just be normal? Why aren't you normal? Just be normal. And in my head, I'd be like, what do you mean? Like I am normal. I'm, I'm me. So there wasn't that much nurturing there in terms of the creativity side. I mean, there wasn't, I wouldn't say they like prevented me from doing so, but it definitely wasn't something that was like harnessed or encouraged, um, per se. But, uh, it was through high school where everyone's, you know, trying to figure out where they're going in life. I decided to apply for art school. So I didn't get into FIT, which is a very well-known um, fashion-based uh, university in New York. And uh, I did, however, get accepted into Parsons. So it, that kind of was what started my journey of learning the professional side um, and, and actually having a whole world open up to me that you can actually really make a living and be a normal person, unlike dad said, um, making a living drawing. Like you can be an illustrator where you can put art on posters and movies and tote bags and t-shirts. And it was just this whole world that opened up for me. And all throughout like junior high, high school, as soon as I could get a work permit, I started working. So um, I would just make some chump change on the side. I worked at Quiznos before. I worked at a bunch of like sneaker stores all throughout Soho and Union Square just to make money so I can buy sneakers. Um, so I've always really have been into the footwear game, especially since I also have small feet. I'm a size five women. So there's like a lot of shoes that don't like women's shoes, Steve Madden, Aldo, whatever, that don't necessarily come in my size. So I always kind of just navigated towards what was a bit available for me. And that's pretty interesting because uh, I definitely share a lot of the same probably life experiences as you do. I mean, I'm not a single child. I, I'm the youngest of two, but you know. Definitely the pressure of having to excel academically and eventually professionally was like a huge weight on my shoulders, especially because I was a guy. And, you know, my, my you know, traditional Korean American family. And, you know, because I was a guy, there was even more pressure on me. And plus my sister who went to LaGuardia High School for drawing. God forbid. She- oh, I got into LaGuardia. I wasn't allowed to go. Oh, that. <laughs> so your parents were like extra Asian. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. But for me, like it was weird because like so such early on, like. I felt like at a young age, like my life was already set by my parents. And I think this is something that a lot of Asian Americans can relate to is like, you don't feel that freedom. So when I, when I hear about people who got to go to art school, such as yourself, and even my friends who went to, you know, Chicago or RISD or whatever and applied, like, I didn't even know what those things were when I was in high school. I had no idea what industrial design was. I learned about it in my 30s, which is kind of crazy. And and I learned that through this job working at Sneaker News and just being in the footwear industry. But I just remember the same thing, like walking around in the in Flushing or in Manhattan or Bayside, wherever with my mom or when we're food shopping. And she's like, oh, don't do this sneaker thing or whatever. You're going to end up working here. And we, we hear it and we hear that pressure. And, you know, we at the, at the same time, it's like you got to balance like what you want to do in life and, you know, respecting your parents. You don't want to like step on their dreams of having their children turn out to be like superstars. So maybe this is just my opinion, but I think I always envied single single children because 
they had, I guess, no other immediate sibling to be compared to. Would you say that's true or false? I'm sure, like you said, you had, you know, uh, cousins and whatnot that you were probably very often compared to. But do you think that there was maybe some sort of advantage of being a single child that maybe helped you or helped your parents kind of give you that freedom or no? No, because then all the pressure falls on you and you are the only option and only solution. I mean, even just to frame what you just shared as well in terms of, you know, our culture, it's if you're not that, you're actually a failure and it's actually shame for your household and your family. So that's a big part that people forget that if you're not a doctor or lawyer, if you don't go to an Ivy League, you're not celebrated and you will forever for the rest of your life be compared to the other um, so that's like really interesting in our household, like, especially as, as, you know, a, a woman as well, we're always told to excel in school and do really great things and be awesome. But at some point in your life, you are all of a sudden expected to give up everything and get married and have a kid. So it's, it's almost counterintuitive in many ways. Cause you know, I am married at this point in time and like, you know, I have my parents constantly saying, why are you working so hard? Like, what are you building towards? Your duty is to bear children. You should start a family. That's what's considered a healthy household, a healthy marriage. So, I mean, I've obviously spent like 30 or so years just ignoring a lot of these things and just kind of swatting them away. But it is, you know, I've, I also don't fight it. I, I accept it as I, I, you know, obviously in today's day and age, as we're all talking about identity and culture and, and our backgrounds, I understand that this is their story and I'm here to define my own story as well. So it's annoying, but it's part of my culture that I should actually take to heart and, and celebrate in many ways. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? I think it's really an interesting point of how you overcame the pressure and and kind of that burden almost of, you know, if it, can you live up to your parents? Um, you know, I don't think that's just an Asian culture. You know, I think there's a, across the board, there's always expectations or things that are expected of, of certain people. Uh, and, and I will say, you know, it's it's really hard to find your lane and, and carve your lane in the world in general. Um, but you had even extra pressure. Can you talk about that process of overcoming it and and how important that was? You know, what was in your bones or in your blood that that, you know, just almost spoke to you, must have spoke to you to say, hey, I need to pursue this. Uh, I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. I think, you know, I, I did definitely have a strong sense of like self-awareness when I was younger. So I knew what I liked and I knew what I didn't like. And I knew it was my truth and what wasn't my truth. And even though I was like constantly compared or, you know, all these things that were just part of what's also very normal, like at that point in time, like I grew up in Queens where predominantly most of my peers came from immigrant parents as well. So I wasn't alone in that journey as well. Like everyone else was kind of going through the same situation as me. I'm sure we all had to deal with the same amount of stress and and those types of like external voices. But for myself, I mean, it's weird to say I just don't care. I just don't care. I just never, as a kid, I was just like, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> that strikes no chord, and and that was it. You know, um, I mean, I'm very, I'm very fortunate and very lucky to be someone who always had a strong sense of, hey, I wanted to become an artist. I want, I want to draw. This is my hobby. I can turn it into something. I also, you know, to this day, have a very strong sense of like. I believe that I can do anything I put my heart and mind to, except maybe math. <laughs> I'm very terrible at math. The reason why, probably one of the biggest reasons why I went to um, 
art school, but, you know, growing up um, in the 90s and whatever, like, a big thing that was sold to us was you can do anything you put your heart to. You can do anything you put your mind to. You're an American dream and all this stuff. And sure, there's some truth to it, but I I took that and and wanted to apply that, not wanted to intentionally. I think it was just part of me um, that I I can do that. And just because you tell me no, I don't think of it as no. I think of it as I'll figure it out and we'll see. I think a lot of that uh, that don't give a fuck attitude is something that young students should take on early on. I think it's important to understand that you don't have to fit some sort of norm, even though our parents were just kind of looking out for us. But the key is hard work. I mean, you didn't get to where you were because you didn't give a fuck or because you liked certain things. You got to where you were because you worked your ass off. You worked harder than the person next to you. But I like how you brought up that, you know, you weren't alone in this because, you know, I wasn't alone inside there. I, I grew up in Flushing where, you know, I went to, I took the train, the hour and a half train ride with my friends to high school, to, to the Bronx. I went to the same, you know, SAT preps places with them oh, and yeah. the same, all that shit. So, you know, it was definitely like that shared struggle. That's why, like, I feel very, very proud of a lot of all the Asian Americans, like in the fashion slash media slash arts industry, because like there was like an extra hurdle that we all had to kind of really jump over that maybe some others didn't really have to. But uh but yeah, just moving on. So like, you know, you you got to Parsons and, you know, you're kind of like figuring out what you're doing there. And um, obviously, you know, you kind of like evolve your drawing style and whatnot. What does that entail? Like, how do you how do you learn how to draw? Like, what's the purpose of an art school? Because that's something that I even I don't really know. At that age and time, I don't I have no idea. It was just seemed like the right thing to do. I mean, my dad went to Columbia and he has like PhDs and stuff. And I'm like, I can't even, I still to this day can't even do basic math. So I felt like that was just me. Like I knew that I was smart. I knew that I'm capable. I know that I'm not like super good at math and science and writing and all this other stuff that the other kids were, but I knew what I was good at. And I just, I don't know. I just, I just stuck with it. It was just always like, very deeply ingrained in in who I am. But in art school, I I don't want to say I highly recommend it. I don't think college is for everyone. But what I did appreciate from my college experience was availability of resources. So resources from a uh, the, the faculty that we had and, and the curriculum that we had, the libraries that we had access to, the equipment we had access to, and every university and school, regardless if it's art school or not, has extracurricular shit in their program. Like, it's like this is more of the New York thing, but it's up to you to go out and get your own. You know, it's up to you to to make it work. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to spend four years in undergrad and I knew that I didn't want to go back to school. And I wanted to make the most of it. So every single semester, not only did I take full classes, but I audited classes outside of my major. So I I majored in illustration, but I also thought typography was cool and like motion graphics or like coding or like whatever. So I would literally look at the schedule and find the classes that would fit in my schedule and email the professor to be like, hey, my name is Sophia. I'm an illustrator and I'm, I'm a major illustration major, but I'm really interested in your course. And here's the reason why and blah, blah, blah. And like, can I just be a ghost student in your class? And it's probably illegal, but they said yes. And so that was my way of like kind of adding to what 
Um, I was actually like my experience in school. I spent a lot of time in the libraries just to read just like, you know, there was I think there still is like a Barnes and Noble in Union Square. So like I would spend time there, I would literally go through the magazine section and look for art director names and figure out how to send people emails to send them my work. I also worked part time at the journeys that used to be in Union Square and the Puma that used to be there. I'm like, look, I'm here. This is the most important time of my life to make this shit happen. So I'm out here to make it happen. Um, and I also like did internships all four years as well. Like uh, my first year, I, I interned with Ryan McGinnis, who's like a fine artist. I basically cleaned silk screens. It wasn't anything magical. It was literally me in a bathtub with a power machine gun cleaning silk screens and getting paint all over my face and my clothes. It was awesome. Um, and then, you know, I also interned at complex on the magazine side and learned about digital marketing as as everyone was transitioning from from a print publication to digital um, I also interned with a solo illustrator to see how you know he talked to his clients learned about invoicing I pretty much just scanned sketchbooks all day but like I'm here so I want to listen I want to observe I want to watch I want to like take notes you know so that was really great. And I also was fortunate to work with a graphic designer that worked with a lot of like prominent streetwear brands. So that was super helpful for me to be a fan of streetwear. I don't think it was called streetwear back then. Um, but I was doing just all of that. And his studio mate was a web designer. So I learned a little bit about web design and UI and UX. And if they needed to hit a deadline, they'll throw me an extra couple of bucks so that I can help them meet a deadline. So long story short, by the time I graduated, I had just such a solid toolkit of all these amazing things that I could potentially do and make money from. Like I just spent four years working my butt off in school and not fucking around like all the other college students were. And um, now we're out here to get it, you know? So it was like the first time in my life where I could just do what I wanted. I literally am in full control and I'm going to make it happen and it's going to be awesome. And no more math, science, you know, SAT prep classes or anything like that, because that was a big part of my life, like that, that dialogue. And I never had weekends because I was always in those prep classes as well. They don't really help. I'll tell you that. Um, so it's a business. I'll say that. Yeah. Sophia, can you talk about, I mean, that curiosity, you really became well-rounded and it sounds like you really kind of added tools to your arsenal, right? Like you, you just had a full tool belt of being able to understand every part of, of different businesses and, and, um, you know, that curiosity obviously paid off. So can you talk about once you got out of school, you said, all right, the world is mine. We can do all these things. I mean, I think for a lot of people, the hardest thing is just to get started. So can you talk about kind of how you got started and started doing paid work or kind of parlayed all of your tools and, and turn those into actual opportunities to be paid for your skills? Yeah, what my mentality when I was in college was always like, I want to be a sponge. I'm not focused on anything else. I just want to be a sponge and just absorb everything. Like I took a motion graphics class, realized it's not for me. Took a coding class, kind of cool, a bit archaic and crazy. Um, So it's just like learning, learning, learning. I did intentionally have this mindset of like, I'm just going to see what works and see what sticks and what doesn't. But, you know, leading up to graduation, you're also just like, oh, real world's happening. Like, what am I going to do? So I was, def- and I was also out and about as well. Like I'd check out art galleries, I'd check out stuff. I'd occasionally meet people. And maybe my sophomore, junior year, there was already questions like, oh, do you have a business card? Because, you know, people did that back then. I feel like people don't do that anymore these days. But um, 
I was kind of on top of it pretty early on of like, yo, they're just teaching us studio classes. Like we need to learn how to run a business, you know, like this is basically a business at the end of the day. So I went out of my way to like build a website from, from learning how to code. And then I also, you know, made my own like business card in my silkscreen class because I realized people were asking me for these things and I look stupid when I don't have it. So by the time I graduated, not only did I have all these skills I already kind of collected, I also had like bare minimum in terms of like what I could go out into the world with. But my mentality has always been like, when graduation's over, like I'm out here getting the same check as everyone else. Like I'm competing with dude that graduated 10 years ago, has already been in the game for a while, my same graduating class. So like my approach has always been, how am I going to put myself out there? How can I be different? How can I be seen? How can I be recognized? How can I get paid? You know, so probably not the best answer, but I just started out like being on Craigslist all the time and um, literally in the art media job section, looking for jobs and sending these cold emails out to people like, hi, my name is blah, 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 and here's my resume and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then it's not like jobs just start rolling in like crazy. It's just uh, pray every day, make sure you're doing your best, sending out your emails. I mean, back then we didn't have like a Malachi or like a whatever, all these cool like freelance job sites. So I got this random job off of Craigslist. I was also still getting a lot of pressure from my parents to get a full-time job. What are you going to do when you graduate? You need to make $50,000 a year, which is like impossible for a college student, realistically. Um, and you need security. You need like uh, healthcare and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh God, great. Like more, more, like more input from them. And so I ended up getting this super random job off of Craigslist. It was a project manager position um, for this lady who basically was like Cruella DeVille. But it was a it was a multimedia like arts company, meaning they put art in hospitality. So like there's a new JW Marriott that's popping up in New York. All the hotel rooms need art. All the hallways need art. The wall above the toilet needs art. They have an Italian restaurant. They need art. So that company was more of like project management. But I had like it was I actually loved it. It was it was really crappy. Everyone was really mean to me. But like and I had to wear slacks. Oh god slacks terrible I, I, that was probably the only time in my life i had to shop at like banana republic or something um no offense uh but uh yeah i um i essentially loved the job because i learned how to deal with like email clientele every monday we'd be like cool everyone sit down all of the project managers go through all the clients on your list what are the project updates as far as the progress of everything but um I, I did it for a while and then they realized I could do graphic design. So they moved me to the graphic design department. But, you know, I wasn't really happy there. I, I, there was a point where I was waking up every day and I was like, I'm not really happy. And I worked really hard to get here. And I think this is stupid. So and I know I deserve more and I can do more. So I decided to leave that. I was also like making probably like $22,000 a year. I think they called it a salary, but that's not a salary. Um and so I left that job and then it was just kind of back to freelance. But at that time, there was also just like random homies that, you know, also went to school, also graduated, also got their first job, kind of needed graphic design. So there was a little bit of that. The check sizes were maybe like $100 and I was lucky. I remember my first, my first check was maybe $150 and it was to design some like gradient wallpaper for someone to have on their like desktop. In my head, I'm like, why don't you just 
go to google.com and find this literally looks like windows xp or something but if you want to pay a graphic designer like i'm here for it so it was just that super slow but it was also like me regularly hitting up the people i interned with there were still like certain days where complex would bring me in oh can you come in for freelance for a bit the other people i worked with so that was good like that really helped held it down for me because i at least had these like preliminary relationships that i could at least get some checks off of but it was fully like mac and cheese life frozen dumplings like it wasn't pretty <laughs> in terms of how life was like and also shout out to craigslist that's where i think before social media craigslist is where shit got done i mean that's mm-hmm. where people connected because it was really the only medium for people to connect and now that everything's kind of you know, served out there, like like you mentioned, that there's services for freelancers to can easily find, you know, connect, you know, a designer with like a job. But back then, like it was really about hustle. But I also really like how you mentioned that there's a lot of trial and error involved. You know, you just I think in this day and age, everyone's thinking that they could get rich overnight. They, be, they could become a superstar overnight. But nah, that's not the case. Even when it comes to like selling shoes on and reselling sneakers, for example, everyone thinks that they could make like a hundred grand a year. Like you can't do that. It's there's a lot of trial and error. You gotta see what you actually like. You gotta figure that out. Um, but anyway, you mentioned that you know you you know you're getting uh, hit up for projects for like a hundred dollars, hundred fifty bucks. But you knew that it wasn't really for the money. It really is to make that connection. You kind of get your name out there. And you know, fast forward, you know, almost like ten years later, I'm assuming. Right now, you're doing some really fun projects. You know, what were some of the the fun projects that you really enjoyed doing? That you thought, man, like, you know, even though I'm a seasoned veteran of the design game, like, I can't believe like I'm doing this project. What are some of the standouts? It's weird to say, but I kind of love all of my projects for the most part. Um, it's it's I like work. I'm also a bit obviously an extrovert, so I like people. I like working with people. Um, I like working with personalities. I like I've learned to love the process of negotiation. I've also learned a lot in terms of not um, getting myself in like a crappy situation where I'm doing more revisions than I need to or, you know, situations like that. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the trial and error. But I mean, I was lucky one of my my bigger big breaks projects was uh, with Anthony Bourdain. I was able to work on a series of posters for No Reservations um RIP Anthony Bourdain but um that job kind of came through a just a friend who who plays his 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 name is uh, he's actually a rapper Asian rapper um and he knew someone who knew someone who worked at a production company who needed an artist to design a poster for one of the episodes and he's like hey I know a girl so I ended up doing this one-off poster I don't think I got paid for it even um it was just for like travel channel to put on their Facebook this is like early days when like before brands were really on Facebook and it ended up getting an amazing response for that one episode uh and so I actually got a direct call from travel channel to watch all the episodes ahead of time and and do posters for all of them which he then signed which they then gave away online on Facebook so that was really really cool and not only was it obviously big break, big name, you know, it was my first time actually getting like a real check. Um, it was a kind of almost like a body of work because it was like a thesis. It was like, I think, eight different posters, eight different illustrations. But more than anything, like the client was just chill. Like the client didn't have much feedback. That was probably the best case scenario you could ever wish for as um, an illustrator or freelancer. And that's not always the case. Um, so that was that was definitely one that stood out. But 
Um, I'm just, I'm really grateful because in the past like decade, I've been able to work with amazing clients. The, the roster only keeps growing. Um, I have a lot of returning clients, people who've worked with for years who are like the lead at certain companies. They hit me up when they move to other companies, vice versa. So I also learned a lot from one of the guys that, uh, that I had interned with. I mean, there's always gems with the people you intern with. Like one, one guy has also said like, you know, at the end of the day, he, he was a streetwear designer. So he would teach me like colorways, tech packing, all this stuff that I wasn't in learning in school and designs and stuff like that. But one thing he always said was like, when you're a designer, you're not creating for yourself. You're creating, especially if you have a client hiring you, you're creating for the client, you're creating for the customer at the end of the day. So your opinion really doesn't matter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So that, that was always my mentality. If like I disagree with a client or I think their art direction is not great. I, there's moments where I try to coach them into a different direction, but a lot of times like I'm here to do a job. So let me just make sure I do that job well. Well, we've learned a lot about your background and kind of your journey. It's really uh, super interesting to hear kind of how you go from, you know, kind of the underdog, right? Where you had big expectations growing up and, you know, went a different direction than a doctor or a lawyer, but have really, you know, put out some beautiful work and made a lot of people happy. You know, that's, that's something I'm actually a big collector and, and loved your tops 2020 project. Thanks. Um, you know, I thought that was amazing. I love the Ichiro one and, and some of the other ones were really cool. So, you know, with that said, what we learned from you was your curiosity and your ability to kind of become well-rounded was very important in your pursuit. And you mentioned it, you know, all of a sudden they were like, oh, she can do graphic design. So they kind of moved you over and um, being the queen of all trades, you know, is 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 uh, great. You know, being a jack of all trades, being able to, you know, bounce around and kind of help out where you can wear many hats. I think as a business owner, you have to wear many hats. And uh, you even mentioned talking about learning how to do invoicing and, and you know, dealing with clients. That's a huge part of it. And uh, it's really cool to hear that you've fallen in love with the process of negotiating, which is obviously very important to uh, to have a lucrative business. So with that said, also, you said this very early on, and, and I love this, it resonated with me, of uh, finding your truth and pursue, pursuing your truth. I thought that was a, a very profound thing. Uh, and then also talking about how if you set your heart and mind to anything, you can do anything. And um, that's, that's uh, you know, what we really talk about. John and I have both pursued our careers and been very fortunate to, um, you know, we've had doubters and haters and things and, and stuff, but over, over time, we've really been able to shine because we love what we do. And that comes through with you as well. So um, I just want to say thank you for coming on. You know, thank you for uh, being a part of this and sharing your story and, and your personality and, and uh, everything with the world. Uh, last thing we have for you is, you know, based on all of that, I just broke it down for everybody, but do you have any final words or, or advice for anyone listening uh, about pursuing their truth or kind of how to make make it, how to make it happen? I think more than anything, like the skills part is really important in, in your recap of my <laughs> whatever I just said. I think like the skills part is really important because like when you actually have if we're ta- if we're bridging the idea of like you can do anything you want to do, like you're going to need to put in the hours, you're going to need to get the skills. Right. But like if you actually get as many skills as you can. You don't have to be a master in all of them, but like have a general good, well-rounded understanding. You could do whatever you want. Nobody can stop you. And if there's certain areas that you think you can improve further, then continue to graduate in that direction. No one can stop you. If you have all these skills, then you will only continue to grow. So that's the best thing that I think anyone can do. And in that process, that will only help people like figure out where what their like north star is what 
what like is that big grand vision of the, what they want in that process I believe that they will discover like what's true to their own passions but I was always just obsessed and still am with you know I call it skill hoarding <laughs> just hoard as many skills as possible and sneakers absolutely I love it I mean um even me myself I think in many ways I can like I mentioned before I can relate to you but I went down the the uh, the medical path I went to an Ivy League and all that kind of stuff oh, and wow. I literally like I turned I turned it away the, the moment I graduated I knew it wasn't for me and I think something that I learned later on which I think is probably the best piece of advice that you gave so far is is just to learn just never stop learning and I think learning is part of that process learning is really the key because no one's going to stop you from learning something, right? But if, you know, you want to become like a star overnight and gain success overnight, you know, people will get in your way because it's just not possible. So learn as much as you can. And you know what? The more you learn about certain things, you'll, you'll discover if you like it or not. And if you like something, then you're just going to continue down that path. And that's how you find your truth, as you say it, I think. So uh, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. You know, I've always wanted to like, you know, get, uh, meet you because, you know, we have very similar backgrounds, especially being from Flushing, Queens. So I'm sure uh, we have a lot of uh, fun stories to talk about, you know, just acting a fool at, you know, municipal Burger parking King. lots and whatnot. And Burger, Burger King. King, urban terrain. Yeah, urban terrain. Oh, urban. T- I worked. I worked at urban terrain sure for a very short period of time, mostly because my friends wanted to shoplift there and they needed a scapegoat, or not a scapegoat, nice. but a, a guy to cover for them. But you're the plug um, for all the steep techs back then, huh? Oh, oh, absolutely, oh, definitely. But um, it didn't last too long. But um, but anyway, again, thank you so much, Sophia, for coming on the show and for sharing. You know, a very short recap of your professional life. Hopefully, the people who have listened can take something from this and. Uh, yeah thank you again cool thanks guys so that's it for this week's episode of sneaker salaries but let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels you can follow us on instagram and twitter at sneaker salaries and hit us with a dm or a tweet you can follow me personally on instagram at john b-e-e-j kim and you can follow me on instagram at jordan hagedorn we'd love to hear your feedback and if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com if you like the episode feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word and please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast Sneaker salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m partnership and a gallery media group original production